0: the same as he has the power to influence a presidential election. If a guy has the ability to influence who is gonna be the leader of the free world, that guy can put on a kickboxing event. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode. You're welcome, guys. We are very close to the Logan Paul-Dylan Danis fight. And coming up on today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about the lawsuit that Dylan has against him. Plus, Conor McGregor thinks he can still get on the December card. And is it true that Kamara Usman is the backup fighter for Jamaya versus Costa? Because I'll tell you, he should be. All that and more on today's show. But I want to start here. Christian Tate came out, Andrew Tate's brother, big social media, and he defended Dylan Danis, and he made an excellent point. So Christian came out, and he was basically talking about everything is fair game in fight promotion, right? Don't do any crimes. Don't touch the guy. You don't go assault the guy. But as far as uh, getting a back and forth, Verbally, as a way of gaining attention, getting the media and getting the public's interest, particularly when it's an influencer fight, right? This was Christian's point, particularly when it's an influencer fight. Like that's what influencers do. And then they might drive you towards a toothpaste that makes your teeth sparkle. They might drive you towards a new dress that you'd look great in and a designer's website. Or in this case, they're driving you towards a pugilistic sporting event. And Christian compared it to Mike Tyson with Lennox Lewis, and he said, was there anything out of bounds when Mike Tyson told Lennox Lewis, I'm going to stomp on your testicles and I'm going to eat your children? And Christian determined, no, there was nothing out of bounds with that. There was nothing improper about that. What would have been improper is if Lennox Lewis sued Mike Tyson for saying that. That would have been improper. That would have ruined everything. That would have changed the dynamic. Linux and Mike. Now now I'm going a little off. That's, That's what Christian said, that I'm going to credit to him, which influences what I'm going to tell you now, which is Mike and Linux were partners. And there's plenty of businesses out there where people don't like their partner. There's businesses where partners don't talk. It's not as though this becomes a ruse or this becomes pro wrestling because they're working together. They can despise each other very legitimately. And they are in the one field where they can actually go and fight. So many people relate to that. You have somebody, whether it's in the classroom or in the office or on the job site, that if you could get away with fighting, you would. If you could get away with punching that person, you would. Logan and Dylan went and got licensed and sanctioned, and they're in the one industry where they actually can. So it's not a manufactured conflict. It isn't fake. It isn't pro-wrestling. It's real. But they're partners nonetheless. And Christian's point that if you want to go out of bounds or you want to talk about what's across the line, it's this. You, You don't sue the guy Bring attention to the business that your partner's in. You, you just don't do that. And it shouldn't just be from the standpoint that that is out of bounds. And Christian's completely right. It's not just that. You also have MAMs involved. You have the guy that's putting up the money and bringing this entire thing. And now you've got a thing in the form of a lawsuit that could jeopardize all of that that's got to keep Mams up at night, that's got to keep Mams staying in touch with Perry's people to get extra plane tickets, extra fights, pay an extra participation, right? You've got a lot of things because now your fight is in great jeopardy. And why would it not be? You have somebody that's done something that's out of bounds. Logan told Dylan right when this started, stop or I'm not going to box you. He told him that. So that same thing should be fair for Dylan to say to Logan, you stop or I'm not going to box you. And I suspect it will happen. What would be the point of putting a bunch of money in a dude's pocket if you've got to go and do lawsuits that can bankrupt you? And there's nothing that changes, by the way. Like, like these photographs, or these tweets, or these messages, or the people that have seen them and shared them, don't unsee them. They don't come off of the internet. They don't go away. But Dylan is going to have to go to courts and get all of these things done. He's already got a restraining order put on him in New Jersey because he didn't show up for the court date. Why would he show up for the court date? I mean, how, how are you going to show up for a court date? What an underhanded thing to do to somebody. What, what an underhanded system that it could be done. I like Logan, by the way, I like Logan a lot. I met him one time, but he was a really great guy and I've shared that with you. I really like him. I'm not attempting to be condescending or funny at all. I don't know his fiance's name. I don't know what her name is, but she's got an incredibly healthy ego to think anybody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody. Not, not a couple of people, not just Chael doesn't care, because Chael's got other things. To, nobody cares. She is not a, a fixture in this at all. She is trying to be with her healthy ego. She is trying to insert herself. She's now announced that she will be coming to the fight. There is nothing about this that isn't attention-seeking and that she's trying to gain. And any hurt feelings that she's pretending to have or quite possibly even does have is because she's so glued to social media. It's not real. That is a massive character flaw. And moreover, whatever damages are supposedly done, I don't even know her name. I know what she looks like. I know she's engaged to a guy that I think's a cool guy. But that would be the credit that I would give her. I have a idea where she was born. If her parents are married, if she's got brothers and sisters, what she does for a living, if she went to college, I don't know anything about her. I've seen photos that were taken willfully. Supposedly, these were stolen due to a hack. They were still taken willfully, right? This is a very bizarre thing, and Christian Tate's right. The only thing out of bounds as it regards to this fight, is the lawsuit. That is a terrible thing to do to somebody who is partners with your fiancé. Who not for nothing, right, I don't want to be a scumbag about this, but when I tell you I don't know what she does or what, I got an idea that she doesn't do anything. I got an idea that she doesn't have money or a way to go or a fancy car to drive or a big house to sleep in if it wasn't for him, so if he's if he's supporting everything, which he is, if he's supporting everything and his partner, his business partner, is putting money into the pocket and then you're gonna go over here and sue him on the side? Get a restraining order, then you're gonna show up to an event? It lacks all sincerity. It's underhanded. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it's Logan's job to unwind it and make it stop. Mystic Mac, or is Connor getting a little bit delusional? Connor did an interview and he said uh, he's still hopeful. Still hopeful. That's an interesting word. He's hopeful to fight in December. And I do, I do say hopeful because we're seeing a new humble Connor, and there's nothing that has humbled him. Red Panty Knight is still king. Make no mistake. But he's coming in humble. I've heard a few things from him that I've liked, but I've also turned my head and go, hey, what's going on here? Like, do we got a real competitor here? Do we got a competitor that's really trying to make a comeback? And he had said this, he took some heat during the Ultimate Fighter. And I want to say it was when he was kind of in a back and forth with Danny Rubenstein. And he was saying, look, I didn't get three guys bounced to bring my three guys in. That did not happen for one. And two, before y'all get up in arms with me, I'm making a comeback myself. I'm trying to get myself back in the mix. And it was a very humble comment from a guy who goes out of his way to make sure he never makes humble comments. I loved it. I loved it because if you're a true competitor, if you, really, you, you have to view yourself that way. You have to. If you want Red Panda Knight to stay real and you want to be the king marketer, you can't let the public know you view yourself this way. So it was, it was his major push and pull. I liked it. I thought it was refreshing. I like when Connor breaks character every now and then. And I don't want to make too much, right? I don't want to turn poetry into the word hopeful, but hopeful is an interesting word. Conor had come out with a tweet a number of months ago as it had to do with USADA and the UFC and them not letting him fight in December. And he said, these guys are stopping me from making a living and this isn't their first time. Kind of letting us in on a behind the scenes that he genuinely, or at least my interpretation, that he was genuinely trying to fight Michael Chandler. And he genuinely thought he was going to be able to do that without doing the 180 days within the pool. I think Connor was sincere. And I think when he came out with that tweet, which completely broke Connor' character, completely broke character, to let the world know, I'm trying, I'm doing my part, I'm being told no, this is the guy that's never been told no. Conor McGregor reveals in December, what was the year, guys? Was it 2020? I used to know years so well, and then COVID hit, and I got all thrown off. Was it 2020? In December, the month of a pay-per-view, by the way, Conor McGregor announces, I'm ready to fight. I'll fight. I'll fight now. I'll fight fight now. So they go and get him a venue. They book a pay-per-view that wasn't even on the books in Las Vegas, bring in Cowboy Cerrone for a pile of cash. They sell the whole thing out in less than 24 hours. For all I know, that was, that was 10 hours. All I, it was less than 24 hours for a top 15 record gate. No title fights. I was there that night. It was a good card. No disrespect. I don't remember who the co-main event was. No disrespect. It, it was a very good card. But I don't remember. This was all about Connor. They threw the thing together. And what was the most interesting is they did it a week before a scheduled pay-per-view. So they got a pay-per-view on December 13th. On December 7th, they announced that on January 20th, they're going to do a pay-per-view with Conor McGregor. So now they're advertising two shows against each other, right? You're trying to get people interested. You're trying to get them to come this way. They're, they're going this way. You're advertising two shows. Okay, I only got X amount of money. Which one am I going to go to? Like the UFC doesn't do that. This is how hot he was. This is how hot he is. Conor is not cooled. Not not the way you guys think. Conor had the biggest box office ever. Ever. That's over UFC 100. We usually, when we talk numbers, we exclude 100 because it was such a one-off, right? 1.7 million pay-per-views. Dana Dana owes us a jump off the Mandalay Bay. He didn't think it would do that many. As the optimistic president, even, even outdid him, right? We usually don't even count 100. Count 100. Count them all. Conor had the record until it got beaten by Conor. And then that one got beaten by Conor. And then that one got beaten by Connor. Beaten by Con- I used to have the record is why I know this. My second fight with Anderson Silva was a $7.4 million gate. And that was the top gate at that time. I'm excluding the time that St. Pierre fought Jake Shields and they brought in Crazy amount of people and did $11 million. A day. It was a one time, it's because it was Montreal. And I- I'm just sharing with you, I follow those numbers a little closer than some. Like, I think it's weird when you guys follow rankings. I don't even know where you would find a ranking. I literally don't know. And I have people tease me. They tell me it's like ufc.com and then you backslash and then you hit a ranking. I don't even know what a backslash is. And I'm a smart guy. I own three websites. I don't know what a backslash is. It's a weird thing that you would know that for, in all fairness but I'll admit to you, it's a little bit weird that I would know who's got gate records, right? It's a little bit weird that I would know that, but I do. And I'm just sharing with you why. And Connor's next fight, why it might not beat his number one record. It might not. It's still going to break into him. He's going to beat one of his records. And I say that because when he uses the word hopeful, okay, should we just chalk this up to Connor for the first time ever has misspoke. Maybe he's tired. He's drinking. Maybe. No big deal. But this is a guy that doesn't usually misspeak. Or should we chalk this up to? This is a long shot, but should we chalk it up to perhaps there is another card being looked at being put together in December? That would be very unlikely. But it's essentially happened before. I mean, we pushed it to January, but essentially that's that's what happened when Connor returned for the fight with Cowboy Cerrone. There was a pay-per-view in December. Connor says he wants to come back, and they went and booked it. Even if it pushed to January, you get my point. Is that that what we're hearing, that that is being considered? And I really want something great for Michael Chandler. I actually don't like discussing this piece because I'm in full support of Michael Chandler. And I hear myself, and it sounds like I'm not. I am. But I'm trying to be realistic to this situation. Conor McGregor, in this same piece, told Michael Chandler to sit down and wait, and then said, I hope Nate Diaz returns to the UFC, because I owe him a fight. And I realize that the last information that we, the public, have been given is that for sure it's going to be Connor and Chandler. That's been promised. That's done. I get it. I, I do fully understand that. I don't overly question that, but I undisputedly don't question that at the time it was said, it was absolutely true. At the time it was said, you're as good as the information that you have at the time. And that statement was said prior to Nate Diaz showing a new interest. And we do have times historically where once it's said it's these two guys, that's done. And guys can push and pull and they can do the media. Ultimately, they can sit on their ass. Once it's said that's the fight, that's the fight, right? We got a rankings room. We got a way we do this. We got matchmakers. We have a process. When the process is done and the names get spat out, this is what we're going to do. You could tell me plenty of times historically you've done that. However, 100% of those times you could name for me are title fights you do not have a time. And you can go back to the SEG days of 1993 through 2001. You do not have a single time when a fight was announced and that was it. And we're going to hang on it. That was a non-title fight. And you could easily say, but this was promised. It sure it was, but guess what else was, was was Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor. And it was meant. And then Nate ran his contract down. He went over here and he bought, it was one of those things. Nobody lied. This is what everybody meant at the time it was said. And then some of the other pieces that weren't controllable changed. I think it's going to be Chandler, but I can't guarantee it's going to be Chandler. And the more time goes on, what difference does it make? Right? I mean, it made a big difference three months ago. It made a big difference. We're coming off the ultimate fighter. This is what was advertised. This is what was marketed. This is what's red hot. This isn't even going to come in 2023. And if this battle with USADA is a real thing, you got to wait 180 days. Now you're talking about it coming halfway, in a best-case scenario, halfway through 2024. What do you do then? You tell people that these guys, once upon a time, did the ultimate fighter? Is that what you do? Do we get Forrest and God rest his soul? Stefan, did we get Chuck and Randy to come back? Because they did the ultimate fighter. I mean, is that what we tell people? We don't tell people that in 2024. Hey, these guys did the ultimate fighter. And I, I know we've done three seasons since then, but you know, we've said it, 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 it just doesn't work that way. So then the question comes, why are they fighting? Are they fighting because it's a really big fight that we all want to see? Great. That's a really good reason. I'll take that. But is that the case? That fight. And I love it. Again, I'm on Chandler's side. I'm saying this trying to help Chandler. I'm trying to. But I know my words come out a little bit. But that fight, to this day, to this day, and this has been booked for, what, seven months? I found out about this fight driving to Fedor's retirement fight. I remember where I was. So how long ago was that? Six, months? five months? From the day that was announced to right now, this fight not only doesn't have a date, it not only doesn't have a bout agreement it doesn't have an agreed upon weight class. So before you tell me we got a fight and we've got to get to it, I'm gonna stop you right there and I'm gonna tell you nowhere in the history of this sport, when you don't have a bout agreement, you don't have a date and you haven't even agreed on the weight class, nowhere in the history of this sport have you agreed to do a fight. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm? Wearing the wrong pair of shoes. Guys, out here in the Pacific Northwest, it happens to us often. I love to take my kids out. I love to take the dogs along with us. We go on nice long walks through the neighborhood. But I hate throwing on clunky rain boots. And you know what I hate even more? Wet socks. What if I told you, I came across a shoe that is lightweight, breathable, and waterproof. Not to mention, it's pretty good looking. Vessi has mastered the creation of waterproof functionality, and style. These shoes outsmart the weather and keep me ready for anything, rain or shine. I appreciate that I don't have to change my shoes just because the weather can't make up its mind. My Vessi shoes keep up with my day-to-day outings, style, and the weather. Most of the country is about to head into the rainy season. So why don't you head over to Vessi.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 15% off your order. You're welcome for that, by the way, guys. That's Vessi.com slash CHAIL, V-E-S-S-I.com slash Use the code CHAIL. Save the 15%. Don't wait until your socks are wet. Be prepared and grab a pair. What do you do with Kamara Usman, right? And there's guys that I care about, like, I mean from a personal standpoint, like, I care as a fan. I, I do care when they're going to fight. If, if there's an announcement, I'm going to make pieces on it, and I'm going to build it up, and I'm going to mark that on my calendar, at least my mental calendar. And Usman is one of those guys. But I can't hold on to that forever, okay? If, if Usman or anybody was to sit for a year, we don't need to discuss how they're going to do anymore. We can still want to see them fight, and we can still support them and do really nice things. If you sit for a year, your time is now done. It doesn't matter if it's an injury. It doesn't matter if it's illness. It doesn't matter if it's your inability to get a fight. It doesn't matter if the promotion doesn't have an interest in you to an extent that they can financially honor your contract and give you a match. It doesn't matter what the reason. If you sit for a year, we don't have to do the competition. We can, we can do it for good sporting exercise, but there is nobody good enough in a competitive division. And 170 is very competitive. There's nobody good enough to sit for a year and come back and be meaningful. That's just the truth. From the day a Kamara Usman fight gets announced, it will be three months until they get into the ring, okay? He fought in March of this year, which means he has two months. If they don't announce his fight in the next eight weeks, that automatically will push it to March of next year, which will make it a year, which will make it irrelevant. It won't matter who the opponent is. A guy on his best of times is going to be in a very trying situation to go 25 minutes. The human body is not made to go 25 minutes. Every guy that's ever taken illegal drugs in this sport is taken it for the same reason that the guys that do the Tour de France take it. The human body is not made to do that. I bring it to you, it's, it's very relevant because I, I don't know what's going on there. That is a meaningful guy that deserves more respect than he is being shown. Now, if he doesn't want to fight, we're having a totally different conversation. No problem. No, but he has definitely done enough. But that's not what we're being told. We're being told just the opposite. I believe that Kamara Usman should go to 185 pounds. That's Chael's belief. Now, I also followed Usman as a wrestler who wrestled at 184 pounds. So I know that size is not an issue for him. That's his actual size. None of you got smaller with time. None of you weigh less now than you did in college. He does. He does. He used to compete at 184, and then he spent a decade down at 170. I mean, not for nothing, he could go 185. And the reason I like that, I like the parody. It's an easier weight class. Right? As you get older, you're always looking for something easier to do. The higher you go in fighting, the worse they get. You want terrible guys, you barely even have to know how to fight, go up to heavyweight. Start working your way down from there. You want to get really good and get really good skills, great. Go to a lighter weight and prove it. But the heavier you go, the easier it gets. And the reason that Usman didn't go 185 already, the reason he didn't do that, is he didn't want to have to fight Adesanya. I get that and I respect it. And so do all of you. And we've interfered with plenty of things, from teammates to friends, but we never interfered with the reason, with the nationalistic ties where Usman and Anasanya showed each other a respect. We never interfered with that, did we? So we understood that. Usman was willing to fight Chemayev, even wanted to fight him, but would not fight him at 185 pounds. It was never disclosed why. I'm here to tell you why. It was not a size issue. Usman is just fine at 185. I'm I'm telling you that until I'm blue in the face, but it's true. He didn't want to do it at 185 because it would have become a number one contenders match. And if he beat Shamaev, which he planned to do, he did not want to be in a position where he drew into Izzy. He didn't want to put you guys as fans in that position where he goes, hey, I'm sorry, I got in this spot, but I'm not going to do it. He, He didn't want to do that. So he got ahead of it, he was professional, he was upfront and he just tried to change the way. he would have done it 183 pounds. He would have done it 183 and three quarter pounds. He would have done it anything but 185 for that very reason. Now, there is a skunk at the garden party as it pertains to Paulo Costa versus Chemayev. If you can get that fight in the ring, if you can get that fight to the ring, you have a big success. But before you promote that fight, before you market it, before you name it a number one contender's fight, all energy has got to be to get that fight in the ring because that is not on track to happen. So the move, now that Izzy is not the champion, Izzy's not even pursuing the championship. Izzy is not called for a rematch, which he could get like that. He hasn't called for it. He is stepping aside to give Sean a moment, and to give the whole division a moment. So if Usman was to come up now, the landscape is totally different, and the opportunity is only a month away. They need, it is paramount that they have a backup fighter in Abu Dhabi for Paulo Costa versus Chamayo. It is paramount. And it can't just be anybody because that's the feature match. That's the main event as far as we're all concerned. That's the match that we're all getting ready to see. That's the match that was promised six months ago. That's the match where a fight was broken up in Salt Lake City to make it happen. That's the match, and we all know it. What you don't know is getting them in the ring at this point is going to be very difficult. So when and if that news comes out, the right guy has got to be ready. It's the whole card is dependent on that. The right guy is not Jerry Cannon here. I'm not saying that to be negative. It's just not. The right guy is out there. The right guy has a name. The right guy has already asked for the fight. The right guy's in shape and he's ready because he's always in shape and ready. And the right guy... That needs to position himself today because this is less than a month away. The right guy to fill in for Paulo Costa or Chimaev, whichever one of them blinks first, and they're both blinking right now. Little inside news for you the right guy is Kamara Usman. Coolest thing about Joe Rogan. He doesn't know he's Joe Rogan. Or he doesn't know that Joe Rogan's cool. It's one of the two, right? And you guys would agree. It's one of the reasons you like him so much. It's one of the reasons he can get away with so many things as you relate to him. So, and that's not a strategy. That's just him setting up a podcast and welcoming you in. But when you talk about the power of Joe Rogan, I felt it. That's a weird word to use. That's a weird, I don't get to use that word very often, that I felt something. I'll make a YouTube video and I'm always checking the numbers, right? Because you guys can see them. Not only am I audited, I'm publicly audited. My ego is directly related to what that number says. So I share that with you because I don't get to tell my partner Ryan very often, hey, I can feel this one. This one's coming back. What does that mean? That I can feel, well, it means my social media lit up or it meant my DM box fell up. Or it meant I got calls from from high school friends or text messages from people that don't text me very often that they saw it. I felt it. When I've done the Joe Rogan show, I can feel it. I wore a t-shirt, a Queensberry bad guy t-shirt. I was selling these things online. I wore that shirt on Joe's show. I never mentioned it once. Didn't know I had it on. What Didn't have it on for marketing. Didn't have it on to sell it. I had it on because it's the shirt that my wife put in my bag. When I got it from the hotel, That I put it on and went to the show. Never mentioned it. Joe never brought it up. My phone was going off nonstop. I have something called a Shopify app. Every time somebody buys a shirt, boom, I get an alert. Bang, 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 bang. I had to turn it off during the show. And after the show, when I turned it on, it just kept going. So many people bought. Now, that was only like 124 shirts. But I'm just sharing with you, I never mentioned them. I didn't say any. I didn't even tell people where to go to find them. They saw the shirt. That many people were watching that logged on and then went through the process. I could feel it. And I bring this to you because Joe's got an idea. Joe is making a push. And I don't know how hard he's going to push. This might be a one week thing. But this is the week, and he is making a push for somebody to get behind kickboxing. Joe believes that kickboxing could be the next big thing. And it's an interesting concept because Joe took this idea to Dana. Joe laid out very briefly what he believes it's going to take for kickboxing to get over. But one of the things was somebody with major distribution and a major power to influence and deep pockets to get behind it. So he went to Dana. And Dana said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I don't think that kickboxing is going to catch on, particularly with North America, the way that it has in other parts of the world. And that was where that conversation ended. But the ingredients that Joe pitched to Dana, from the deep pockets to the influence to somebody with major distribution, he just described himself. He just doesn't know that. And Joe tried to pitch in. He tried to volunteer. He said, well, if you do it, if somebody does it, I'll commentate it. That's wildly helpful. If you could get Joe Rogan to commentate your event, you are going to have success for whatever that event is. The podcast, the Joe Rogan uh, experience used to be comedians visiting, smoking dope. And it is, while staying that, it has also transcended to every person who would like to be the president of the United States calling up and trying to get booked on that show. And if they get booked, they will then fly out to the studio in Texas where there's not a whole lot of other stuff to do. I mean, in all fairness, if you make a trip for that, that's the only thing that you're doing media related, and it's still worth it. It is worth it to bring your team, book the tickets, get the hotel, do whatever you have to do to just have that show. That's not how it would work if you were going to go do, say, Fox News, just by example. You get out to New York City, you're in the media mecca, you go hit five, six, eight different stops. If you go to do Joe's show, there there aren't other programs out there. You're just going in to do Joe's show. That is a massive compliment to Joe. That is a massive statement to the power that he has. And I just bring that to you because if Joe wanted to do kickboxing, go do kickboxing. He knows the guys. He could fill up a card. He has the audience. It's you all. He has a commentator, apparently, which is himself. He has a distribution to get the word out, which, again, is the Joe Rogan program. I think it's an interesting concept. I don't hate the idea, I must tell you. I I don't think that it has to be done in the way that Joe thinks it has to be done. I mean, it's a fringe sport, not for nothing. It it doesn't have to just pop up on ESPN or pop up with a major announcement on pay-per-view. You don't even have to try to shove it down someone's throat and up somebody's ass like people are currently doing, where you bring them something they actually want to see, and then you put on a kickboxing fight as well and force them to see it. It could be a standalone event. And I would be very curious about that. And when Joe says it's the, the next thing to break through, I would like him to finish that thought because I think, I think he's saying, boxing's already gotten through, which would be true, MMA has already gotten through, which would be true. And his true love of grappling has already gotten through, which is not true at all. I mean, that's where I would have to stop and go, hey, wait a second. Don't, don't act as though grappling is done. Grappling is not done. Grappling is not out there. There is not a skill set or a rule set. And that's the good news about kickboxing. The number one thing that's stopping grappling, and call it jiu-jitsu, but let's just call it grappling, right? All the art's coming together. The number one thing that stops it is they don't have an agreed upon rule set. Every promoter that's got a few dollars to lose and can get somebody to air his product will make up his own set of rules. All of them. Polaris is not the same as EBI. Just by example, Abu Dhabi is not the same as either of those. And you could play that game until you're blue in the face. You're not going to find the same rule set anywhere, which is why it's not a real sport. You go to any gymnasium in the world. It could be at the elementary school. It could be at the park. It could be at a fancy NBA stadium. You go to any gymnasium in the world. You take a ball. You put it in the hoop. You get two points. You get fouled. You go to the free throw line. You get a point per basket. You're outside the three-point line. You sink a ball. You get three points. You're going to play for four quarters. It doesn't matter if you're nine years old or you're 29 years old. The rules are the same. They're going to start the game by bringing two guys to the middle and throwing the ball up. It's the same. So now you can have sports commentators talking about it. You can have athletes come on your sports show and discuss it. Because the world will know what you're doing. You can have a ranking system. You can't have a ranking system within grappling. And they don't. They have one guy. They have Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan's the best. You'll hear that all the time, and it's true. But you won't hear who number two is. You won't hear who number six is because there's no system. There's no ranking system. You can't rank something when you don't even agree upon the rules. I think that's a major benefit to kickboxing. Not for nothing. I, th- I think that it is. When you go out there, you got, you, you got your legs. You got your hands. We're going to make it kickboxing, not Muay Thai. What's the difference there? Well, you can't knee, you can't elbow. I like that. Knees and elbows are, are too vicious. I'm not a prude, and I think that stuff is too vicious. It's an interesting concept, right? If there's a push being done by Joe Rogan, and again, this is likely the flavor of the week. Come next week or more specifically next month, I don't know that he's still pushing it. But, but if he is, I mean, if there's one person that could come out with a message and draw interest, it's him. And if the world of kickboxing and or the leaders of kickboxing had the sense that God gave geese, they would contact him and they would try to get him to push this. The K-1s and the glories of the world would get a hold of Joe and say, hey, we're already doing this. Perhaps you don't know. I heard that you're willing to commentate it. We would really love that, right? I mean, there would be some kind of a concerted effort, but I don't know how real that community is. I don't know anybody that kickboxes. I mean, I went in and did kickboxing at an MMA gym. I know other people that were my teammates that went into an MMA gym that had a kickboxing class. I I don't know of an actual kickboxing gym. I don't know of an actual kickboxer. And neither do you. You've never done it. If you wanted to do it today, you wouldn't know where to sign up and go and do it. Unless it was a class within a different gym. I could push you even further and tell you to go buy the equipment needed and you wouldn't know where to go buy it. Like, it's not an actual sport, but neither was MMA. You get a little interest, you start to get some young minds that look at it and say, that's what I want to do, that's what I want to dedicate to. There's a major opportunity here. There's a massive opportunity for kickboxing if you can keep Joe Rogan engaged. And Joe Rogan could turn to somebody else and say, I'll just stand there and commentate, or Joe Rogan could go out and do it himself. And the fact that Joe doesn't know that I think is very humbling. I think, it, I think it's what makes him very sweet. But Joe would have that power. The same as he has the power to influence a presidential election. Okay, if, if a guy has the ability to influence who is going to be the leader of the free world, that guy can put on a kickboxing event. William McCartney. A.K.A. William H. Bonney. A.K.A. Billy the Kid. How did he die? And who killed him? So, the governor of New Mexico paid Pat Garrett $500 to agree to kill him. And $500 after he killed him. And Pat Garrett shot him in the back. Which is an extremely cowardly thing to do. And it's an extremely cowardly thing to admit to do. Particularly when nobody saw you do it. You would not have to, when there's no witnesses, say that you shot your best friend in the back, in the dark of night, while he was unarmed. You wouldn't have to do that. Particularly when you dug the hole, you buried him, you rode back to the Capitol, and you collected the rest of the bounty. Could have said it was a fair fight. Could have said he got the jump on me, but I was quicker. Could have said he had two guns and two friends, and I took them all out. Could have made this a really glorious story. And Pat Garrett wasn't above lying. He wasn't even above killing. He wasn't above anything. He wasn't above stealing. And he came with the story that I shot my best friend in the dark of night in the back while he was unarmed, and then I buried him. They said, Well, where did you bury him? And he had a grave. It wasn't as though, it wasn't as though the body was never discovered, right? And we've been told stories where the body was never discovered. We even decided that it rose on the seventh day and was divine. Like, we can accept a lot of things as human beings when we want to believe it. But Pat had an answer to it. He had the grave, and he knew where the body was. And there was a guy that watched him bury it. He didn't watch him kill him. He didn't watch him shoot him. He didn't watch him hide out. Guy didn't say it was in the dark at night. It was in the back, and that Billy was unarmed. Pat said all of those things. But a guy did help him dig the hole and help him put the body in it. And when they asked Pat where he put the body, he did have an answer. And they went there, and there was a body. So great, he got paid his money. Billy was never heard from again. Pat started up a restaurant, raised a family, stayed there until he got shot and killed. So that was back in the 1800s. 1889 comes to mind. I could be off a couple of years, but you understand. In the turn of the century, there's major changes. I mean, Henry Ford put the first Model T on the roads in 1914, just to put in perspective for you. So there's a massive difference, right? There's a massive difference in 1889 when Billy was killed. There was no technology. But then very quickly, right, only 20 years later, all of a sudden, we got an automobile on the road. You got a very different time. So then, when the year 1950 rolls around, you have a very different world. Joe Biden was born in the 1940s, to put in perspective for you. So now you have 1950, you have a very different world. And a guy comes forward, and he's about to die. He's an old man. His name was Brushy Bill Roberts. And he said, I would like the pardon that I was promised many years ago. They said, why were you promised a pardon? He said, because I'm Billy the Kid. Pat Garrett did not kill me. Pat Garrett was my best friend. He let me go. He shot somebody else and he buried somebody else. DNA didn't exist. There was no way to exhume bodies and then tell who it was. There was no way to get hair samples or bone fragments. You understand DNA, right? None None of these things existed. And the reporter that he went to said, do you have any scars? Do you have proof? Do you have evidence? He took his shirt off. He had eight bullet holes through him. He had all sorts of stab wounds through himself. He said, here's my evidence. And the ages kind of matched up, right? You look at this brushy bill. You're trying to guess how old he is. You're trying to juxtapose that against 21-year-old Billy the Kid that was shot in the back in the dark of night while unarmed by his best friend. And you can see where the ages probably will get you pretty close. But we still are going to need some evidence. We're going to need some evidence that you can even tie yourself back to the Lincoln County Wars. And that's where Brushy Bill had a hard time. He had several people that were around back then. Even people that knew John Tunstall and said, yes, that's him. We've been hiding him. That is Billy the Kid. There were several people that said that. There was several people, including family members, that said this guy's crazy and a decade ago he was workshopping the same story except he was claiming that he was Jesse James. But those very family members that were distant, those very family members that denied it, also said he'd never been shot and also said he'd never been stabbed. And we took his shirt off, he'd been shot eight times and he'd been stabbed a plethora of times. There was very limited info on the actual Billy the Kid. There is only one photograph that can be authenticated that is the real Billy the Kid. Only one. But there's stories of his hat size. There's stories of the placement of his ears. There's stories that he has big wrists with small hands. And he was in the confinement of the Lincoln County Jail. And he was handcuffed and he did escape. And the reason he could escape is because he had big wrists. So when they put the cuffs on him, they were here, but if he could just slide it over the wrist, his hands were small and the cuffs would come right off. That's the story. Brushy Bill had the same hat size. He had the same ear placement. He had the same big wrists and little hands. He had the same boot size. This is all reported stuff. And I'm saying reported by who? I live in a modern time and I'm famous. Not being a dick, I am. You don't know my hat size, and neither do I. You don't know my boot size. If I was to die today, somebody comes out 50 years later and says they're me, you're not going to prepare their feet with my feet. But they're claiming that they had that on Billy the Kid, that Brushy Bill Roberts had the same hat size and boot size as the official Billy the Kid. Who kept those records? Don't come at me with this stupid stuff. Just don't. don't. Don't tell me that stupid stuff, please. But I also can't explain why people that were around the Lincoln County Wars are claiming with their good name, they're old people too, they're going to die too, they want to die with a good reputation, and they're claiming under oath that that man, Brushy Bill Walters, is in fact Billy the Kid. And his own family that said he wasn't said, matter of fact, he can't even speak Spanish, and Billy the Kid was fluent in Spanish. So a reporter tried to throw Brushy Bill off. And he didn't say, I need to know that you can speak Spanish. He just yelled a question to him in Spanish while all the other reporters were yelling. And Billy heard the question and answered him. Brushy Bill answered the question. His own family said he didn't speak Spanish. He spoke fluent Spanish. And he had the stab wounds and he had the bullet works. And he told another story that he was there the day John Tunstall was buried. And that is what jammed him up. Because there was a written report of who was there the day John Tunstall was buried and Billy was not there. Then they went to the actual people that gave the story and they said, yes, he was there. And we told the reporter he was there. The reporter 31 years ago miswrote it. And he started to have these things on Brushy Bill that were coming out that were in line with Billy the Kid. But Pat Garrett was a snake. So if Pat Garrett is to work something out with Billy, right? This is the old Vince McMahon. You hit the locker Pride fighting championships, right? The promoter hits the locker room and comes up with a story. You're going to go this way and never be heard of again. I'm going to murder this guy, and then I'm going to bury him Quickly. I'm going to cover you, Bill. I'm going to put out a story that I shot you in the back. Nobody wants to be known as a coward that shot an unarmed man in the back in the dark of night, but I'm going to do it, and that's why people are going to believe me. But if you ever pop your head up again, they're going to come and hang me. And that is a risk that a snake like Pat Garrett would not have taken. And you won't convince me that he did. You won't convince me that he covered for Billy the Kid who he was never going to see again and put his own reputation on the line. And moreover on the story, the fact that Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett were best friends is not true. They were light acquaintances at best. But that doesn't mean that Pat didn't try to shoot him in the back and try to kill him. That doesn't even mean that Pat doesn't think he did kill him. And that's where the story could actually be fathomable. For them to get together and work this out, that did not happen. There was no telephones. There was no emails. There was no way for them to communicate. But for Billy to have been in that territory in New Mexico and have somebody else that looked like Billy shot in the back of the dark of night, Pat Garrett looked down and realized what he did, dig a hole real fast, bury him, and go back home and collect the money... Story gets to Billy. Billy, th- Pat thinks I'm dead. I just got, I, all I got to do is disappear. All I got to do is go change my name and lay low. You used to be able to rob a bank, move two towns over, and never be caught for your whole life, right? I mean, there was, when there was no internet and there was no Facebook and there was no Twitter, it's very easy to get away with things. So he didn't even have to leave New Mexico. It is very possible that Brushy Bill Roberts was, in fact, Billy the Kid. It's very possible, but not on purpose. And not because Pat and Billy worked something out like the promoters in Pride when they'd hit the locker room and tell the guy when to go down. Would have been a mistake. Pat would have tried to kill Billy. Pat would have shot the right guy. Pat then would have juxtaposed do I want to hang for murder since I shot him in the dark in the back while he was unarmed and I'm a sheriff. Or do I want to just say it was Bill? Hope that he hears. Hope that he lay lows. Go collect my... Ransom from the governor. What do I want to do? Those were the options. And if you look at it in that vein and you understand there wasn't a great conspiracy, that's where your mind can start to make a leap that Rushy Bill was, in fact, Billy the kid. Now, if you've heard these stories and you want Shale, who's an expert on them, to ruin it for you, it's all hogwash. Pass shot him. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I have had it with you all, but thank you for listening. And thank you to Anthony, who left me a very nice review on Apple Podcasts asking for more stories about the special hotel. And I mentioned that on last week's podcast. I appreciate you knowing that, Anthony. I will talk to you all again on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.